Where is he? Katie asked. Who? Katie turned to her and gave her a tight smile. Let's not play games, Jerry. Where's your boss? At home, I imagine. She crossed her arms and affected a haughty demeanor. It is Christmas. No, he's here, Katie said. Now why don't you go get him and let's work things out? Jerry paused, returning Katie's stare. The women engaged in a brief battle of wills before Jerry looked away with a sneer. Then she stomped into the bedroom. Katie heard her speak in a muffled voice. A few moments later, she emerged from the bedroom with Burnwell in tow. The man gave Katie a sheepish look. In the car, Finch applauded. Shut up, Elias growled. Nicely done, Finch said. You just handled that one like a pro. She had nothing for us anyway. She had plenty. Like what? She didn't see a thing. Exactly, Finch said. And that means Levitt has no alibi. Neither does the janitor. True, but the janitor doesn't live in a $350,000 house on the South Hill. Elias considered that. Levitt probably comes from old money. The house didn't look like it. What do you mean? It was a huge house. Finch nodded. Sure, but hardly any furniture, and the lawn wasn't well kept either. You think he's hurting for cash? I'd like to get a look at his finances. So get a warrant. I might, Finch said, rubbing his chin. Maybe later I just might. What time did he come home last night? Finch asked. What time did he say he came home? Finch shook his head. That's not how it works, Mrs. Moore. What time did he come home? She smiled slyly and took another pull from the beer can. If I say he was home by ten, would that clear his precious name? We want the truth, Finch replied. That's all. Angela shrugged. The truth is, I fell asleep on the couch at ten. He wasn't home yet. Elias made a note on his pad. But I woke up when he came home at two, she added. Finch raised his brow. Two. Two. Any idea where he was? Angela finished her beer. She crinkled the can and sighed. Why don't you go ask him? With the speed of a tailback, he cut to his left as he passed a garage and left my sight. I swung wide around the garage to avoid possible ambush. He disappeared. I slowed to a walk, shining my light around in disbelief. My own ragged breath rushed in my ears. I struggled to bring it under control and listen for the suspect. The alley opened into an unlit backyard. No fence separated the alley from the yard. A mud-splattered Toyota 4x4 with oversized tires sat on gravel. Beyond that, a small wooden tool shed butted against the eight-foot fence between this yard and the next. I shone my light around the backyard. About fifteen feet from the alley, the gravel gave way to a ragged lawn. Beyond that was the rear of the house. Large wooden steps led up to the enclosed porch that ran the breadth of the house. Halfway up the side of the house, I spotted a chain-link gate in the fence. The suspect could have easily vaulted the four-foot gate, but he didn't have time. He'd gone to ground. I knew it. His breath was sour with coffee and cigarettes, but his voice was cold and deadly. I think maybe we don't talk so much about what business I do. Is safest that way. I sat back and shrugged.
That's fine, but I figured your people had a history with the gypsies, too. Maybe you can influence them, even if you don't do business. Val shook his head. These gypsies are Romanian, yet? Hell if I know. But your people had the whole of Eastern Europe under your heel for fifty years. I figure maybe some of that held over. Romanians always trouble, even for Soviet government. Val took a deep drag off his cigarette and stubbed it out. Sometimes when we have military exercise, Romania not even show up. Even the men like you and me, in that country, they are difficult to deal with. So you can't help me? Sure I help you, he said. You pay, I help. But I can offer nothing special just because I am Russian and they are Romanian.